everyone, and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we try to take some science, squish it into an hour-long show, hopefully making it less confusing than it was at the beginning. We, this week, are diving into the magnificent world of coral reefs. You can follow us on Twitter and, you know, any other social media platforms we may or may not use, as well as uh, the directory you're listening on right now. I'm Tom Jenks, joined as per usual by Mitchell Gatting. How are you, mate? Doing good. Keep it snappy after our revelation of last week. Well, yeah, but I only remembered that halfway through. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh. I was like, ah, okay. Um, And at the same time, I smacked my funny bone on my table. Oh, is that what you giggled? I was going to ask what was so humorous (laughs) that you you nearly stopped yourself halfway through. Uh, Indeed, my humorous is quite humorous. Mm. Unlike your hubris. Um, (laughs) Ha ha. Uh, How's it going then, mate? What's... uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, what, what's occurring? Nothing much. It's been pretty chill. Pretty, pretty chill week. When bouldering on Sunday. Oh yeah. Uh, today what do you think of that? day of recording is Thursday. Uh, my body has only just recovered. <laughs> Bouldering's intense. <laughs> Bouldering is intense. Yeah, uh, I, I knew a couple months ago, and I was like, "Oh, that was a good time." But oh my lord, my fingers hurt. I I knew going in that my body. Ain't it? I'm, I'm not. I'm in no disillusion to my body not being it. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize how not it it was until yeah. uh, the, the first day after was fine. Same day is fine because your body's in shock. My body was in shock. I was like, <laughs> "What's going on? Why have you done this to me?" Um, day after again, all right. But then, because there's something called DOMS, which is a scientific term for delayed onset muscle soreness okay uh which essentially means like there's a period of wait where your your muscles are in a state i said a state of shock um but then after that uh that's when they start to like heal and repair and that's when it really hurts um okay yeah i got you so yeah got, um it's got, it got would, would no, you, no, you bolder again fun but I boulder again. Yeah, no, I'm actually really keen on getting into boulder. I really enjoy it. I used to climb a lot. I used to boulder a lot um, back in the day when uh, in Chudley used to have like a bouldering wall. They just had a, okay. a full climbing center um, that yeah. was run by like teens essentially at the time. Uh, that went bye bye, and the bouldering thing all left, and we stopped doing it. Um, so, yeah. So when I get back into it, there's a there's a local a local centre that is essentially just like a gym that is just a bouldering gym. Okay, we've got a couple of centres up in Dundee. One of them is an old converted church. So oh. one of the things you could just climb up the spot the inside of the spire. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's a good time. Yeah, um, that's that's, cli- that's climbing though. That's that's climbing. That's not bouldering. That's like no, you boulder around proper, the cellar. Proper stuff. The, the ropes is up the top, and then there's bouldering down and down in the cellar. Oh, it's a good time though. Quite quite dark and dingy though. I know it's probably not. I know it's pretty well lit, but but I like. Yeah, you just have to do it all, in the dark. Yeah, the, the bouldering <laughs> wall at the the rock was like a really small room that you can even stand up in. But the idea was that you like you climbed around it, and oh, that's cool. That was like the way of bouldering for ages. Was like it was just the off shoot essentially you got pushed into a smaller room but these centers are just like they're huge yeah um, and i guess it got more popular because the health and safety of bouldering is is easier 
to set up than climbing because there's no ropes. You don't need to teach people how to belay or tie knots accurately. You literally yeah. just like, yeah, see that wall? Yeah, go climb that wall. <laughs> go, go climb it. Yeah, yeah if you're going to fall, here is a, is a fall massive to feet thing. and roll back. That's it. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Don't 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 land on people's heads, or conversely, don't walk under people climbing. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you land on someone's head, that's not your fault. That's their fault for no. not looking yeah. up. Got to be mindful. <laughs> be mindful. As much of all, no, good. So I may I may I may join the local bouldering gym. Be fun. Yeah, bouldering's a good time. It is a good time. But it's fucked me up. Yeah, humbled me, I would that. say. It's it's humbled. <laughs> <laughs> you need to uh, a couple of sessions to get into it before you commit to the uh, the joining. Uh yeah. Well, this this is it's like there's no sign up cost or yeah. This sounds looks like an ad for the. I'm not going to name them the names. I don't give them free stuff. Uh, but there's no like sign up cancel thing. You just pay. It's X amount. Um, if you join oh, halfway through, okay. it's a less amount, and I think that decreases depending on what, what week it is into the month. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, it is. It's very good. So awesome sauce. All right. Um, sorry. Yeah, go for it. Oh, right. this week also moves move us swiftly on onto what yeah. we're covering this week. Oh, I was just gonna skip that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go straight to the news. Straight to the news. No, we're not straight gonna to the there. news. Nah, well, uh, I mentioned corals already, very briefly. Um, so I'll, I'll take a diverge to, to the news. Now, this week, there was so much stuff that happened, I genuinely found it hard to pick one and go into it. So uh, I, I'm going to list a few things that happened, dive into one slightly more. Uh, but if you find any of this interesting, then just know it happened and you can go and look it up. Because <laughs> I felt it was bad to skip any one of these things. Um, I guess this one isn't actually that important. It's just kind of interesting that scientists figure out uh, the number of astronauts needed to build and maintain a colony on Mars. In the UK, the first ever womb transplant happened oh, for I the did, UK, I not did, in the world. I did see that. Um, did see so that's that. a great step forward in uh, fertility treatment. Researchers are doing some time manipulation, which is just wild to me. Maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point. Time manipulation, um, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, Wait, they're doing some time manipulation experiments. You should have gone in with that. Yeah, well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they caused the first ever successful collision of photons, so that's wild. In Turkey, there was a new space species of ape discovered, uh, so now there's a lot of speculation around the true origin of humans. Is this a human ancestor? Is it more of an ape? We don't really know. Results will hopefully come in at some point. Scientists finally sequenced the last piece of the human genome that had not yet been sequenced, which uh, was the Y chromosome. Then we found out why meteors are, or some meteorites are magnetic. So that's fun. The James Webb Space Telescope released a number of incredible pictures over the past couple of weeks. One of them of the Ring Nebula, which is a binary star system, and one of those stars is shedding its outer layers. It's absolutely incredible. And for those of you who are uh, inclined to look up at the stars on some nights, on the 26th and 27th of August, you should go outside, look to the southeast, where hopefully you'll find Saturn, which is currently in opposition, which means... Um, 
the sun is on one side of the earth and Saturn is on the other side. Not only is it on op- in opposition, which means it'll be illuminated really well, but it's actually really the closest it will get to us this year. So a really good opportunity to go and look at Saturn if you're interested in that. And the last thing, which I'll dive into slightly, is India landed on the moon. Oh yeah, that's what I was gonna. He was saying all these things. I was like, surely he's gonna he's gonna mention India. Yeah. Uh, so the India Space Agency, which is the Indian Space Resource Organization or ISRO, landed the Chan. I'm so I'm so sorry for how I'm about to pronounce this name. Uh, Chandrayaan three uh, lander. It landed in the South Lunar Pole. They were the first people to ever do this and the fourth uh, nation to land on the moon. Um, quite funnily, Russia just crashed uh, their spacecraft into the moon the other day, failing to do this exact thing. But it seems like they're quite good at crashing flying vehicles this week. Oh, um, ooh, <laughs> oh deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the mission is set to begin exploring an area of the moon that is of extreme interest, which is the lunar south pole. And the reason why it's of such interest is because there's thought to be a lot of ice there. Why is that interesting? Because if we were to set up a colony there or something like that, it could be a source of oxygen, fuel, water uh, for future missions. And India are part of the Artemis program, uh, which is an accord of, I think, 30 odd different countries that will aim to set up a lunar base um, in the next, I think, 10 years. Uh, so yeah, lots of news. If any of that sounded interesting, give it a Google. Um, I guess it's worth a Google. Yeah, give it a Google. It is worth a Google. Worth a Google. Uh, so exciting times. Exciting. What what an exciting week of science. What an exciting week of science and news with the plane. Yeah. <laughs> and news, yeah. Uh, what chaos is about to unfold <laughs> with that? Well, we'll see it this weekend. We'll see the, the Wagner Group. I guess, we'll see. Yeah. Oh my lord. Yeah. Crew number two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. I'm trying it. All right. Um, anyway, so Coral this week. Yeah, Coral this week. I don't know. Um, you, you I be quite, love Coral. Quite funny. <laughs> quite funny. Quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, Coral's a good time, I think. Um, but but what is Coral? What What is Coral? Are you going to hate me if I throw that question over to, to me? You? Oh, yeah. No. I can tell you that coral is a living being. Corals <laughs> are animals. They are animals. They're sometimes mistaken for plants because they've got branch-like features or rocks for their hard calcium carbonate skeletons that some create around their soft bodies, but they're actually just animals. Just animals. Yeah. Just animals. Um, I realise I may have skipped over your, your your facts there that you have. You, you so 100% you want to go into those. You I'm, 100, so, I'm so sorry. You 100% skipped over my facts. Which is fine. You know? It's yeah, cool. take it away. I, I didn't want to... Don't want to really funny. Take your facts away. Just just because I forgot facts again doesn't mean you shouldn't get to sell yours. Do you know, do you know what's really funny about the whole the facts situation? What, what's that? That was my first fact. <laughs> that Carl's oh. animals. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm just out here doing my bit. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was my first fact: was that they are actually, in, in fact, animals. The second is that they uh, they eat. 
plankton and small fish. A lot of people. They do. Yeah. I didn't realize. Didn't realize this. Yeah. Um, Did you know what plankton is? Single cell, something or others. Um, Technically, and this is. That's like the, the colloquial understanding. Technically, plankton is anything that doesn't control its own movement through the water column. Like its movement is controlled by currents and things like that. Normally uh, pertaining to, yeah, single-celled mm. or multicellular, but not very many multicells <laughs> uh, organisms. But uh, jellyfish are often considered plankton as well, even though they're quite large uh, because they don't, some species don't have enough power to uh, swim against the current. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd drop that nugget nugget in there because I, I think it's the, it's a word that's said a lot, but it's not often defined. But uh, yeah, nice. sorry. C- carry on. Oh no, it's an interesting tidbit about plankton. Uh, my my third and final. Um, they can move. Corals can move. Yeah. Uh, though. Adult corals are attached to the ocean floor. Corals in their larval, baby, or life stage can swim. And when they reproduce, yeah. they release sperm and eggs into water. And when the eggs and sperm come together and fertilize, they form tiny baby swimming coral larvae. Uh, the babies can ride ocean currents and when they find a new suitable place to live, which uh, I saw a thing last week was breeze blocks um, in an oh, artificial yeah. Yeah. coral reef that they made just by putting breeze blocks in the water. Not like throwing yeah. them in. Uh, but uh, they they put them delicately in place. Yeah, my friend Charlie works out in the Maldives. Shout out to Charlie if you ever listen to this episode. Uh, he is a coral restoration specialist, and he he does that. Have said earlier, you could have, we could have got him on for a segment. Ah, oh, nah, he's a bit of a knobhead. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we we can do that. We we can we can. Uh, oh, no, I don't mean I don't out. mean a whole session. We don't, we don't need him for that. For a segment, like, yeah. Oh, oh, Carl's not that interesting. <laughs> 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 uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, artificial <laughs> reefs. Good time. Um, so corals are Come in on. the same coral. <laughs> um, are in the same phylum as jellyfish, Cnidaria. Uh, okay, it's got a big C on the front. Just don't just ignore it, and you're you're pronouncing it correctly. That that's that's Latin. Um, so because they're in the same family, they actually share a lot of similar life traits. What we call jellyfish, they are in their Medusa stage. We call oh, it because yeah. uh, they've got all the tentacles and it's flapping around. It looks like Medusa. Um, that also means corals go through a swimming Medusa stage, and then yeah, as, as you said, they'll settle down. On a breeze block, maybe. And that's yeah. uh, transforms to a polyp stage. Yeah. But it, um, as we always get yeah. confused, the thing that we were talking, we talked about before about being male and female and then going to sleep for a while when it's cold, that isn't the Medusa thing. <laughs> what was that called? Oh, that. Yes. Uh, no, that was not the Medusa. The Medusa. Wasn't it? No. Because you thought it was a Medusa, but it wasn't. It was something else. Oh, that animal that just kind of indefinitely reproduces. Yes. 
the indefinite reproduce one. Through polyps, right? Yeah, through polyps. Ah, uh, um, yeah, we'll have to come back. The Hydra. Yeah, the Hydra. And you kept calling it the Medusa. And we were like, no, it's not the Medusa. Yes. It's the Hydra. The Hydra is also a Cnidarian. So again, within the same family, uh, but it's a freshwater animal. Uh, but yeah, it does say here, all Cnidarians can regenerate, allowing them to recover from injury um, and to also reproduce asexually. So corals, uh, one of the few, I guess, genera that can reproduce sexually and asexually. So if times are tough, oh, I'm just going to clone myself. I'm good enough. Yeah. But if uh, abundant food, let's let's try and find uh, someone else to mate with. Yeah. Um, but each coral group, let's each coral, we would look at a structure and go, oh, that's a single coral. It's actually a colony of um, identical polyps. Each coral is animal, let's say each individual animal, is only a few centimetres, sometimes millimetres wide mm -hmm. and millimetres tall. So they're very, very tiny things. Diddy. Um, diddy. They're a sac-like animal as I said, typically very small, uh, with a set of tentacles around a central mouth opening. Each polyp excretes an exoskeleton near their base. So if you think about how a snail creates a shell on its back, mm -hmm. corals create a shell underneath them. Um, but instead of keratin, it is calcium carbonate. And then over many generations with the many different corals, uh, individuals of like constantly secreting a skeleton of course that builds up into these massive structures that we see and one of the most well i guess known facts i guess is that the uh, great barrier reef that you can see from space is one of the largest living classified as living objects uh, in the world can you see it from space uh, yes yes you can isn't that like can you see the what's it called the the Great Wall of China from space, and that's actually just a complete myth. Is it? Oh, I would have, uh, I would have agreed. Because it's. Can you see the Great Wall? <laughs> I, of China I from thought space? it was complete myth. Well, it depends how what you define as space, but I thought it was a complete myth because it's quite narrow. So how are you seeing something so narrow from space? I see. I think it, it's visible from the ISS, but the ISS technically isn't in space, depending who you ask. <laughs> Uh, but it certainly wouldn't be visible from the moon, is what I'm getting here. Oh, it generally isn't, at least to the unaided eye, in uh, visible in low Earth orbit. Yeah. Certainly not from the moon, yeah. Yeah, like, obviously, um, one of those those stupid things you see online, like, yeah, you can if you had binoculars, or like, great, yeah, if you if you zoomed in, you got to take a photo <laughs> and zoom in, yeah, of course you can see it. Um, the Great Barrier Reef can be seen from a space and is the world's biggest single structure made by a living organism. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, you can see it from space. Uh, now the thing that makes coral special oh, we go. is yeah. zooxanthellae. Yeah, you were gonna... did, did, did you come across these little bad well, boys? I'm not going to say you kind of like edged into my first talking point, but you, you did a lot oh. of it. Go, go for it then, like, please. Do you know... For our listeners out there, before we start an episode, we actually cover what our research we've done on, and then just so <laughs> we don't cover the same things in the episode, uh, and yeah, then 
Tom gets excited, you see, about anything that's in the water, and then he just goes <laughs> on one. <laughs> Uh, well, this is why I asked if you came across him, so I, I could ha- hand it over to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah so, my whole uh, first it, section was away. about at the formation of coral reefs, which you've just done a 10-minute <laughs> like talk on. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I, 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 I didn't even do that bit. Uh, oh, but, yeah, you sound fairly then, mate. No, no, I'm going to do my bit on the formation. Okay. I'm going to go into a bit more detail, though. Please do. I'm going to try. Actually, I don't actually, you know, I don't... <laughs> don't know so <laughs> do you know that this is another little tidbit for you that formations of coral are often to refer, refer to as rainforests of the sea ah oh, yes um it makes sense yeah because if you look um, it, well i don't know if they were taller i would agree um <laughs> yeah. they're not that tall they can be but not like trees uh, no, but ecologically, they fill a similar yeah. role in the sense of providing a 3D structure uh, which creates ecological niches, uh, like different trees do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think it's about having that verticality compared to, like, if you compare a field Dense. to a forest, there's yeah. a lots more stuff, right? Uh, in the whereas forest. if you compare sand yeah. to uh, a coral reef, yeah. yeah. Okay. Talk about zooanthellae or photosynthetic dinoflagellates. Oh, it's, 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 what a great phrase. Just teed it up and said it perfectly your first time. Just, I mean, how's that? Uh, I'm going to give you an honorary <laughs> university degree for that. Thank you. You can Thank take your you. bachelor's with honours. Oh, with honours. The best. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the best kind. The best kind of honours. Um, <laughs> so, polyps characterized by their tentacles and their stinging cells, engage in a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship with these zoodanthellies. Uh, I got it right once. That's all I need. Um, residing within their tissue. <laughs> these, I'm going to call them zoos, uh, utilize okay. solar radiations to drive photosynthesis, yielding organic molecules that nourish their coral hosts. Simultaneously, the corals provide shelter and access to the light uh, for the zoos. This collaboration enhances the coral's calcification, providing a constant supply of essential nutrients, including carbon compounds and nitrogenous products, crucial for the efficient calcium carbonate disposition that is needed for its growth. The process of calcification, essentially, which is for reef construction, is a biologically mediated mechanism. The coral polyps secrete calcium carbonate in the form of aragonite, a crystal polymorph to form exoskeletal structures known as coralites. And as the polyps proliferate asexually through budding, the coralites expand both vertically and horizontally, gradually creating the recognizable complex structures of the reef that we see if you ever look at a photo or in person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it, wild, isn't it? It is wild. The reef growth also hinges on the acclimation on dead coral skeletons termed reef yeah. frameworks uh, the skeletons composed primarily of calcium carbonate contribute to the three-dimensional architecture of these reefs uh, the, the continual interplay of polar activity skeletal decomposition and the physical dynamics of the marine environment collectively result in the diverse structural patterns observed in mature coral reefs i actually had a look at some of the latest research actually give me one second uh, i went to our favorite 
location to get books and papers. Oh, yeah. Good old Anna. Anna. Anna's archive. Yeah. Horn went out for Anna. Uh, and I found one <laughs> <laughs> that was the insights into coal growth rates trend in Fiji. I mean, okay. read that and they did some coring, which I guess is the same thing you can do with trees. And had a look at yes. like the growth rates compared to the 1940s and 1950s, then from the 1960s onwards, and just showed that there was a significant de- decline after the 1960s. Even though 1940s, 1950s, there was actually a rate increase in the growth, it has now declined a significant amount. Um, and they believe that this is an influence uh, in a combination of site-specific water quality and the annual average sea surface temperature with that's the initial uh contributions but then there's also secondary contributions from the colony's distance to shore chlorophyll concentration and meteorological events such as tropical cyclones storms and so events um that kind of thing yeah yeah it's 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 super interesting my undergrad thesis actually was on coral growth rates after a tropical storm event interesting um oh it was not very well done (laughs) definitely ain't publishing that ever um um, but yeah it's very interesting and like corals like when they're close to or reefs in general you know really provide protection to the to the coast okay it's like Um, a lot of money in that sense yes exactly they They really slow down water movement yeah we had um, a very interesting interview with someone who I forgot the name of. <laughs> I don't know if it's Steiner, but it's not. That's not Doctor Thingy. Um, what what did we speak about? Um, the Enrique Sala. No, not Enrique Sala. National Geographic. No, the guy. Uh, the, is it the, the the physicist? Oh, Kraus. Kraus. Doctor yeah. Lawrence Kraus. Doctor Lawrence Kraus, who threw his hat into the ecological ring uh, and wrote a book in is it six weeks he said he wrote it in yeah that but he is. also is the kind of guy who you know just comes up with string theory yeah so big brain big brain guy um and went on a jolly and had a look at some mangroves and the locals are destroying it but they didn't know the impact on what they were doing one of those things yeah so really good uh benefit of like to us if we want to think about it selfishly is keeping corals around um but the thing is that they're quite sensitive yeah they are corals um and when we think about corals we look at them and go oh that's really a big structure perhaps but actually the corals only exist on the outer layer of the structure that they've secreted so even if it's you know uh, five meters wide which would be massive uh but not unheard of uh, it's literally just the, the top layer of that is the is the corals, the top few millimeters. Yeah, underneath that is, is the skeleton, which skeleton obviously remains alive. Yeah, um, but they're, they're quite sensitive to stresses like high water temperatures, pollution, disturbance, acidity uh, levels. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Don't argue that before um, you, you you sharked me at the start, so I thought I'd shark you back. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Please do. <laughs> um, and this leads to a process where the zoos. Uh, which zoos? pushed out of the coral. Oh, the zoo. Okay, yeah, right. The, the zoo Santheli. Yeah, uh, they are pushed out of or expelled from the corals. Okay. Uh, because when the coral gets stressed, 
uh, the Jutan and Thele are like, oh, this isn't a safe place to be. Get me out of here. Because mm-hmm. it's only symbiotic if it's working for both of them. Yeah, that's true. So they're like, oh, hey, oh, I want to leave. This isn't working. Uh, they break up. That also causes what's called coral bleaching, when the corals go completely like white, because all of their color comes from the Zeustanthele. So they go essentially see-through. It, it makes them look white because you're looking at the calcium carbonate skeleton underneath, and then they die because they're not getting the nutrients from uh, the Zeustanthele anymore. And once they've been expelled, it's actually really hard to get them back in. It can happen, but because the, the zoos are plankton at this point, they get carried away by ocean currents. Um, they're just not around to go back into the coral anymore. So it's actually really hard to recover coral mm. at this point. Yeah, Not unheard of, but uh, very difficult. Yeah. Shame. Yeah, Shame. S- sensitive little beans. They are sensitive little beans. What can they say? Sensitive little, sensitive little beans. Yeah. <laughs> So what's happening um, with acidification? Is that what it's called? I, I think I was... Yeah, so ocean acidification is as we produce more carbon dioxide, Yeah. Uh, the carbon is being taken up by the ocean, mm-hmm. which increases the acidity mm-hmm. of the ocean. Mm-hmm. That causes corals to die and the calcium carbonate skeleton underneath to dissolve. And because it's made of calcium carbonate oh carbon <laughs> it's getting even more acidic so it's kind of like a negative feedback loop or positive feedback loop in the negative direction uh it's more acidic which is killing corals which is dissolving coral skeleton which is making it more acidic and uh, and so on um so yeah we really need to kind of curb our attitude towards you know the climate crisis if we want to help corals, really. Uh, there is a lot of attempts at the minute to try and breed corals that are uh, acidification resistant or can you know, survive higher temperatures or maybe have Zeusanthele interbred with extremophiles. Extremophiles being just a, a class of bacteria or organisms that can live in extreme environments. Mm. Uh, but that's not shaping out to be so successful at the minute, at least not on a scale that would save them right now because corals that they're they're slow bloomers they're sensitive they're slow bloomers and uh yeah so with that the recovery period is actually quite a long time um so i'd say that that's what's going on with the ocean acidification yeah sad times sad times indeed sad times indeed. sad times yeah uh, what, what what else have you got to, on on your coral list? Ah, oh, I had a look at the the chemical and physical signalling in the reef ecosystem. Oh, yeah. I'm actually I had not come across this, so this this is quite interesting. So yeah, I the only time I come across it before is when there was someone that was explaining. I think it was like a diver or a like a what would you call it? When you watch them. Uh, what do you mean? Like on the TV, like a discovery show. Um, oh, like a documentary. Yeah, like a documentary on it. And they they had like the dye, and they were like squirting the yellow dye in and around oh, yeah. the coral to show actually how like they're moving water around. And it's yes. kind of like off the back of that. 
Yeah, so that experiment was to show that actually corals aren't passive. They're actually sucking water through Mm -hmm. and up. But I I think that was sponges. Oh, it could have been spongies. Because the sponges actually have like a cavity in the middle that it can be sucked up through. Yeah. I think it was the spongies. Still relevant, though, because corals do, do communicate, I presume. Yes, they do. So coral communication currently stands the multifaceted phenomena uh, encompassing chemical and physical signaling mechanisms that facilitate critical interactions within the coral reef ecosystem. This intricate interplay of signals enables coordination of various ecological processes, including factors such as competition, reproduction, and community dynamics. Oh. Yeah. Spicy. Spicy community (laughs) dynamics. Uh, (laughs) Chemical signaling is a a fundamental component of coral communication. So coral release a diverse array of chemical compounds into their environments, shaping both intra- and interspecific interactions. These chemical cues serve as informational agents, conveying vital data concerning resource availability, the presence of potential threats, and reproductive readiness. It's all about, it's all about, it's always... 100%. 100%. It's always about reproductiveness. Oh, it's just about sex, isn't it? Yeah, when it comes down to it. Just all the time. It boils down to yeah. it. It's just, yeah, all about sex. Basically, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, aliopathic interactions where chemical compounds are employed to inhibit the growth of neighboring organisms underscore the competitive nature of reef environments. So we're trying to help them, and they're out here, you know, stymieing themselves with. Yeah. What would you call it? Like miscommunications? Um. Oh, it's just chemical warfare at that point, isn't uh, it? Yeah, I think it's just chemical warfare at that point. Yeah. Uh, ain't no Geneva Convention if you're a coral. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> um. But yeah, it is. It is one of those surprising things. I think because we look at corals, I think they just live on such a different time scale to us. Or yes. you know, but ah, oh, they they don't move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're basic. Whilst meantime, they're out here just uh, what were those chemicals called? Allelopathic. Uh, aleopathic. Aleo. Aleopathic. Allelopathic. Aleopathic. Allelio. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah. Anyway, they're releasing these chemicals. Yep. They are. Which is, I guess, signaling, but also prevention. Okay. So I think, from uh, if I'm remembering my module correctly, these chemicals can affect, stop larval settling. So if there's the little larvae floating around and they, they're like, oh, I want to settle on this rock, mm-hmm. then these chemicals will actually just kill the larvae as they settle down. Okay. So that's nasty. And if they, like, cause corals grow into each other, it's actually quite a combative area. They're both suppressing chemicals at each other to suppress each other's growth. So um, the there's like a, a set distance around each coral where other corals cannot grow within that because they, they, they die, essentially. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty wild times. It's wild times. And that's just the chemicals. That's just the chemicals. They actually like physically fight as well. Yeah, so the physical interactions... Uh, which notably pronounced during reproductive events again. Always about, <laughs> always about. 
always about sex. <laughs> always about sex. Um, is on mass spawning events, a synchronized phenomenon among many coral species involves the simultaneous release of gametes into water columns. These events are governed by environmental cues, primary lunar and temperature triggers. I don't know why temperature was a difficult one there. Uh, the results mass release of reproductive <laughs> cells enhances the likelihood of sexual fertilization and subsequent dispersal of coral larvae. So that's the physical interaction. I still don't understand how it works. What do you mean? Like, how how do they know? Uh, it's like trees. And I mean, like, it's a warm day and they're like, ah, oh, this temperature's good. Let me just throw out all my seeds. Yeah, but trees kind of do it like over a period and then when they're ready, they fall off and, you know, it's not like time dependent because those seeds will last freaking ages uh, or the the gametes last a while, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas with coral, it's like, oh, this needs to happen literally within the same hour. Otherwise, the gametes die. It's wild. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, Well, one thing I looked at to do with like corals fighting was them literally attacking each other. Did you see this? No. What? So, as I say, we think of corals as these very static things that don't move because they literally cannot move. Um, But when another coral colony kind of gets too close, starts encroaching (laughs) on its space, it can sense it because of the chemicals. It's like, oh, I don't like that. Now, corals inside of the the, the mouth hole have <laughs> mesenterial filaments they're Horrible thin thread like structures <laughs> the mouth hole um, and they use this to digest food that they capture because not only do they take food from the zootanthellae but sometimes they even capture food or plankton that float by as, as Mitch correctly said earlier um, and they, they throw them inside their gastrovascular cavity i.e. stomach or i.e. mouth hole um, but these these filaments that are inside that they can eject outside as well um, and these filaments have nematocysts on them which are the same stinging cells you might find on jellyfish and why jellyfish sting you what they can do is the nematocysts or these filaments can be th- th- thrown up essentially and thrown on to another coral nearby a neighboring coral the nematocysts will sting and inject venom into that coral and kill it Uh and there's an amazing time lapse of this happening in a blue planet coral reef episode you can find it on youtube just by googling or youtubing uh, very quickly and they basically do this time lapse and you see this coral ejecting these mesenterial filaments killing the coral next to it, mm-hmm. and then growing onto the skeleton that it removed. Ooh. So it's also a way for them to, like, territorially expand as well as, you know, say, like, oh, just stay in your lane. I- I'm here. I'm stay, here already. Stay in your lane. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's just something that a lot of people don't know about corals, that they are... I, I told you they were sensitive they also aggy. They just throw up on you. And uh, and kill you. So, yeah, wild, wild, times wild times to be a coral. Wild times to be a coral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In this economy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought that was really cool. 
Not not something we 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 hear much about. Corals, no. Not fist fighting. Coral. <laughs> um, what what's uh, what's what's on your docket then? Hey, what's on your docket? We do it my docket. My what's docket. on your docket? I find I just find it interesting what what you've uh, what you may have looked at. <laughs> um, I've got different types of corals. Okay. Um, yeah. Now corals normally categorized uh by the way that they they grow rather than like colors or particularly like genetic uh the genetic let's call it heritage traits phylogenetic whatever what are those trees you make taxonomic trees those ones phylogeny ah i'm getting there yeah you got there wow i got there in the end you did um however the, the the phylogeny will kind of follow within these uh, patterns of growth. Anyway, uh, branching corals, characterized by you guys, you guessed it, the branching structures which resemble trees or even antlers. Now these are some of the fastest growing corals and will extend their branches towards light to maximize photosynthesis for the little zoos they got inside of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they create complex habitats and provide shelter for a wide range of marine organisms. Now, what I don't get is, let's say I'm an individual polyp within a colony in my coral. Yeah. How does the colony as a whole know which shape to grow in? Like, I'm just a single polyp living my best polypy life, <laughs> secreting some calcium out here. How do I know, like, I, if I'm the tip of the branch or I'm just like oh I should stay in my place and secrete less <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't get it um, really interesting question but uh, yeah uh, we you then have massive corals but biologists are not known for their creativity branching corals <laughs> massive corals uh, so massive corals are rounded and massive often forging, uh, forming large mounds or boulders they tend to grow a lot more slowly compared to branching corals and are adapted to withstanding higher energy wave environments. So you often find them on the barrier between the open ocean and uh, the reef. Uh, they're important for reef stability and serve as protective barriers against wave action. You have encrusting corals. Uh, these form flat, thin layers that spread out and adhere to surfaces like rocks and shells. Think like moss of the coral world. Um, they are adapted to grow on various substrates, could cover large areas. Uh, Folios corals are more leaf or plate-like. They have thin sheets that can be flat or slightly curved, grow in layers and provide habitats for small marine creatures um, in their crevices. Table corals have a distinct flat table-like shape with broad horizontal uh, top and vertical sides. Honestly, if you go down, you're like, oh, that's a bit too rectangular to be real. That's a table coral. Um, They often, again, are formed in areas with strong wave action um, because their shape allows them to capture less sediment and resist damage. That can be a thing with coral is if it's very wavy, sediment, you know, high turbidity, and the sediment settles on top of the coral, it can no longer get the sunlight that it needs and it will die. Uh, also a problem if in super high sunlight areas, algae grows really quickly. So if you don't have the fish 
that are there or urchins that are there to eat the algae Mm -hmm. so a lot of people went around taking urchins off of coral reefs because they're not nice to look at for divers and things like that and then loads of algae came in and destroyed the coral reef because the urchins weren't there to eat the algae anymore um so that's a a boo-boo on the side of humanity um (laughs) columnar corals they grow vertically, forming cylindrical or column-like structures and often found in deeper waters with lower light intensity. Digitate corals have finger-like projections or columns that grow upwards. They can be found in a range of depths and environments. Um, and boulder corals form large rounded structures that resemble boulders or domes, very slow growing and uh, very important contributors to reef structure, but are some, for some reason distinct to massive corals which also look exactly the same. Um, <laughs> and more and more recently, we have found deep sea corals, which is something that we never thought we would find, I think. Deep water coral. And when I say deep water, let's see how deep this actually is. <laughs> how deep they actually so mean. Coral, coral reefs, they always occur in you know warm temperature, shallow area because they need sunlight yeah. it makes sense mm-hmm. makes sense this coral though um, extends to deeper darker parts of the ocean ranges near the surface to the abyss beyond 2000 meters where the temperature may be as cold as four degrees um, again is an idaria it is a stony coral uh, which means it secretes a skeleton um, but could also include black and thorny corals so yeah there are soft corals as well which don't secrete a skeleton Um, uh, this will be like your sea fans and they look a bit more like sponges but basically they grab onto a rock and then they grow outwards without um, forming a skeleton so yeah deep water corals also exist uh, now as well and i think just life will find a way but they don't have zooxanthellae in them so most of these guys are just uh, they look white. They look like their skeleton. Okay. Because uh, the cells are essentially see-through. Essentially. Uh, so Transparent. Essentially. Translucent. Translucent. Oh, that's a much more scientific word. Yeah, it is. Look at me go. Yeah. Look at me go. So that's the different types of corals yeah. you may come across. And why I guess you'll find them in sunny, hot places. Yeah. But yeah, if you see an urchin... Don't don't step on it because you'll die. Hurts. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you'll die. I've definitely stepped on one before, and it does hurt. And I'm still here. What are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, kind of ugly to look at. Well, they're not. They're just little black balls of spikes. Me. But um, form very important. <laughs> Uh, for the coral reefs in terms of Ugly eating at. the algae. Be mean to the... Ugly to look at. Be mean to the... You know, the thing that's dying off. Well, the urchins are. Oh, urchins are doing fine. <laughs> Corals, not, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Mm. So that's, that's a breakdown of coral types. Different coral types, yeah. There's, there's yeah. a pun there somewhere, but... Hey, I, I ain't got it. I ain't got it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not coming to you no um what what is coming to you i had a look at some medical potentials but i was a bit dubious about this 
because okay, obviously it's Kamal's come come Are they at risk? I don't. I can't. can't I can't remember uh, if they're at risk or not. Well, well, the, the, you mean like on the IUCN? Yeah, if it's uh, if that's the the case. Let's see. Well, I think corals. There's so many different species. Not all of them have been like identified. Okay. That corals in general are considered to be at risk. Slash, we need to do something to save these things because they absorb so much carbon mm-hmm. that and provide so many ecosystem benefits to humans. I.e., water impact and uh, taking the energy out of tropical storms and things. That if they go, then uh, we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, 33% of coral reef building corals are currently uh, threatened. And I, and by that, we mean critically endangered. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it is thought that they will just, in general, just they're all at risk. Yeah. This is why it was kind of like... And I had a look at the research. I was like, I don't know, because they can be specifically made the ones they want. But I had a look at the medical potential. So obviously coral reefs are complex and biodiverse ecosystems. And it has recently emerged that, well, there are certain sources of biologically active compounds that have got like large medical implications. Interessant. Uh, the exploration of these organisms as potential pharmaceutical resources has yielded insight into diverse classes of bioactive molecules with therapeutic properties. Um, bioactive compounds derived from corals, their symbiotic partners, zoos, and associated microorganisms have garnered considerable interest for their potential pharmaceutical applications. These compounds are synthesized by reef organisms as part of their metabolic activities serving as the defense agents and contributing to interspecies interactions we talked about before um particularly the sarcophytus gene this yeah Uh, uh, that sounded like i said it really well um has Uh, been a focal point due to their masters production of diverse secondary metabolites these include uh, diterpenoids with recognized anti-tumor and anti-inflammatory properties uh, which you know it's always great um, mechanistic yeah. studies on these compounds reveal their potential as novel therapeutic agents for targeted diseases so yeah okay this is possibly on the cards I mean it makes sense like we, we often find you know more medicinal benefits in like rainforests because there's such a high diversity of life there but coral reefs also have such a high diversity of life it wouldn't surprise me if there's these bioactive compounds we haven't found yet that really are helpful mm-hmm. in in fighting things i mean what was it just a couple of weeks ago you were mentioning uh the cancer pill yes right mind-blowing so no, it's not it wouldn't be surprising to me if we we if we find more compounds that Yeah. So for example that help one of these compounds. Uh cone snails, which I saw a bunch of Reddit posts, uh and Instagram posts of being like, Oh, I found this snail while at the beach and you're like, put it down, put it down now. If that snail stings you, you're dead. <laughs> like 
Yeah. There's no coming back. That is that is like GG, easy peasy, game over for you. Um it's like the people that pick up the jellyfish. People lich. Yeah. That one as well. <laughs> that just and the, like, the little blue ringed octopus. Yes. But then, oh, I found this cute little, cute little people literally smiling the face of death and not knowing yeah, how close they came. Smiling back. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. That, that. But the snare. Honestly, I think it's just good practice. If you find an animal, just leave it. Yeah. Just. Just <laughs> leave you, it. You just never know. Leave it. Yeah. Um, so the cone snail, <laughs> uh, which we talked about, inhibits these reef environments. They, you can synthesize venom peptides that target specific neural receptors. Like I said, it kills you. But you can get specific ones. And these peptides hold promise at, as a analgesic agent. Analgesic? Yeah. Yeah, See? yeah I've got it. I nailed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with potential improvised selectivity and reduced side effects compared to traditional pain management drugs. Hmm. So I said like, Normal painkillers, you can get you know, a cone snail venom and you don't get the side effects. Just a bit of venom in you. Venom. Yeah. Honestly, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. It just does. It does make sense. Like, I guess, like, if, if this thing has evolved to paralyze you, that that's going to take some pain away. Yeah. Just, just tone it down a lot. Yeah. So, as I said before, uh, bioprospecting endeavors focus on sustainable collection processes with a keen eye on conservation of coral ecosystems. So they use techniques such as nuclear magnetic uh, resonance, so NMR um, spectrography, and mass spectrometry aid to identify actually in structural elucidation of coral derived bioactive compounds. But despite their promise and challenges that can persisted in translating coral derived compounds into a practical medical applications there's also regulatory considerations ecological preservation and synthesis strategies are integral to you know getting them to be full potential these bioactive molecules so it's a struggle it's a struggle at the moment to work out how to do this in a sustainable way that doesn't completely destroy all corals everywhere all at once yeah and it's also really hard to keep corals in, I was going to say captivity. <laughs> I don't know if captivity is the the right word for a coral. Yeah. Uh, but they are animals, so uh, maybe. Uh, who knows? Um, yeah, really difficult to grow corals in an aquarium, let's say, as well. Yeah. Um, lots of failed <laughs> We're attempts. We're breeding <laughs> corals in captivity. They'll never catch us. Uh, but that that is something people are, are trying. And I, and I know of a couple of uh, projects, and I think papers now, where people have taken corals and grown them in what we predict future ocean conditions to be like. Okay. So they've taken seawater and they've taken lots of polyps from the same uh, organism and they put some in what it is today as a control. They put some in what it was, you know, 30 years ago. They've put some in what we predict it's going to be like acidity wise without changing anything else some only changing increasing the temperature some only increasing i don't know any any other factor you want mm. uh, salinity even uh, and then like somewhere they they mix and match all the three as well and they they do model 
what coral growth like is going to be in the future from these results and that's how we know coral are in trouble because (laughs) our predictions show that is what the ocean is going to be like in x amount of years at least at some point and this is how coral grow in those conditions so yeah we know we know it's not going to be a great time Uh, and because they take so long to grow and form like some structures on the barrier reef are literally thousands of years old um let's see oldest coral structure um, very the f- the oldest living coral in the world is a black coral which is known to live up to 4000 years so obviously it's a colony it's not one single polyp has lasted 4000 years but that single colony creating that single structure has uh is 4000 years old mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, and that, that, it's the same kind of thing with like animals. So the reason why a lot of you know pandas and elephants and all these big mammals are really hard to conserve is because they don't breed like rabbits. They have one young. They put a lot of parental care into that, um, and if it goes wrong, then they can't reproduce again in X amount of time. While this is a colony, it's just really slow growth. So it kind of translates in a, in a similar mechanism. Mm-hmm. Difficult. Very. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. We're, uh, we're coming up to the hour. Uh, is there anything you'd like to uh, to thumb in? No. That's it. Covered my three, my three sections. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I did quickly ask ChatGPT... Right. How coral knows to grow in <laughs> the... Uh, I don't know. I was quite interested by that question. How does coral know to grow in the pattern it grows in? How does it know to become a table coral? How does it know to become a branching coral? Yeah. Uh, so it gave me a response. Uh, this can be due to genetic programming. Corals have distinct genetic traits that influence their growth patterns and skeletal structures. Um, environmental factors such as water temperature intensity water motion nutrient availability so in this case like branching corals they're not going to go out sideways because they're going to grow towards the light yeah uh competition and interacting coral colonies may interact with each other competing for space and light um and then as the, the chemical and physical interactions we talked about earlier adaptions to the habitat the symbiotic algae the zoos as we've been calling them will influence the, the different growth patterns as well because if they're not growing if the zoos and theli are not um satisfied they'll kind of leave those cells and then the coral will just stop growing in that direction um responses to stress as well um, as well as hybridization so coral species because they just broadcast spawn what that means is as much described earlier they just throw all of their gametes into the water column not all the gametes that meet are of the same species so sometimes you'll get hybrid corals when two gametes that meet that are close enough to (laughs) form a new polyp than too far apart to form one Uh, you, you will get hybrids and sometimes when hybrids do really well they survive for ages they reproduce then uh, well bam you've got a new species so 
Yeah, if a coral and a branch, like a table coral and a, a branching coral hybridized, you'd get a branched table coral thing. And yeah. So that's what ChatGPT says. Okay. And that's the single source of truth forever. Yeah, everyone knows that. Everybody that's, knows that. Yep. Doesn't lie. Yeah. Not at all. Um, obviously, only up to 2021, though, so more research may have come out in the past two years. But, uh, well, I hope that satisfies the answer for people who are also curious. So, cool. That, that'll bring us to, to the end, then. Don't forget to uh, share this with your friends, families, co-workers. Coral, if you've got any. Coral! Um, Coral! It always makes me think of... Um, the Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's, that's I was, gonna, I was also, about to say, whoever doesn't get that reference, it's a Walking Dead reference. <laughs> but also, Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because she shouts Carl in that in a, in a similar way, yeah. yeah. Uh, if n- no one's watched Jimmy Neutron, go, so go do yourself a favour. It's a very UK-esque thing. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. All right. Um, like BBC okay. style, I think. But like the film, because the, the, the film came out, didn't it? Yeah, but if <laughs> if it's a UK TV uh, yeah. series, it's not going to land well in America, probably. So they'll be like, uh, maybe not. what was this? Yeah. <laughs> what is this appropriation of our culture? Yeah. What came up the other day for me, I was getting a bunch of like TikToks that are now like um, nostalgia hits, was um, Show Us Your Fangs, Mode of the Vampire. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's 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 a hit. I did come across some TikToks that were just kept playing like nineties cartoon. Yes, yes, essentially, essentially that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the old Batman. That was a good time. Oh, there was yeah some what well, there was a mummies. I think it was called. Right. No, mummies alive. Yeah, mummies alive. Oh, wild. <laughs> what a time to be a child and also alive. Yeah. What a time to be a coral. 1997. Jeez, yeah. Wow, I would have been four. I was, three. I was talking <laughs> last night. I was in Discord talking to someone about like Star Wars. Uh, and he was like, yeah, no, I remember Star Wars good. And I was like, mate, you're 17, right? The year after... <laughs> Though the year before you were born is when Revenge of the Sith came out, and I was in the cinema for that. You don't get to say you were too young to say <laughs> back when Star Wars was good. Like, don't even, don't even try that. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, that's wild. It was it. Don't cool. preach me the ancient Unless scrolls. I was about, there when um, they were written. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're speaking about ah. Uh, the Clone Wars TV series. Oh, Clone Wars. That came out before. That is good. Yeah, but that was, that again, that was 2000 and... Came out 10 years ago, right? More? Earlier than Clone that, Wars. I think. Animated series. Yeah, the Clone Wars. 2008. Yeah. yeah. So. More than 10. Oh, well, well uh, Soccer came out yesterday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be good. Yeah. I hope... Uh... I hope it lives up to the hype. Yep. Ahsoka. Sure it will. Ahsoka. The droid. Droid's funny. I like the droid already. 
I haven't seen much of the droid, but I like the droid. Awesome source. All right, we'll end it there. Yep. And uh, we'll catch you guys the next yeah, week. Cool. Uh, chuck us a rate if you can. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Peace. Peace.